Well, hey y'all, welcome to my office. I'm changing things up a little this week. Today we are finishing out the book of 1 Thessalonians and we're, we're, we're doing it not in my home, but we're doing it in my office today. And so thanks for joining us to worship the Lord. You know, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, was written by the Apostle Paul to this group of believers in Thessalonica. They were a people that were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing difficulty and uncertainty. And what Paul does throughout this letter is he points them to the hope of Christ's return and how that future reality should affect their present lives. In other words, if we belong to Christ and we believe that he is coming back, man, it doggone better affect how we live today in the present in light of that future reality. So let me give you an example. If I believed that regardless of what I did today, regardless of how I ate, regardless of how active I was, that no matter what I did today, tomorrow my weight would still be the exact same, do you know how that would affect how I live today? I would be eating like a fool today, right? I would be eating pizza and ice cream and all kinds of craziness because I would know or I would believe that tomorrow my weight's not going to be affected. And so my perception or my belief about my future reality would affect my present living situation, how I would live today. And that's what Paul is saying throughout this letter, that, that he's pointing them to the certainty of Christ's return. And if we believe in that, that that is for, for certain, then we will live today in light of that. You know, previously we've been talking about relationships in the church and how right relationships in the church are so important. And we were talking on this horizontal plane, these relationships with one another. And, and today we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about uh, our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And so we're calling today, or we're answering the question today, what does, what does everyday devotion to God look like? What does everyday devotion to God look like? If, if I believe that Christ is returning, how does that affect my everyday devotion to God and how I live out my faith today? And that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're looking at verses 16 through 28 as Paul kind of closes out this passage of Scripture. You know, he's been talking about how we're to relate to people, to pastors, people to people, and now he's kind of talking about people to God. What does our everyday devotion to Christ look like? And he says, starting in verse number 16, and again, this is a, a short series or a burst of short statements with huge impact. He says, starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I will put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so Paul gives six, what I would call six directives, all right? Six, six directives for everyday devotion. So directives, I use that, 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 that term and it's kind of a, a more friendly way to say commands. These are things that Paul is commanding us. They're directives, but please understand this. These, these commands, these directives, these are ways that we are devoted to Christ, but these are developed over a lifetime in your life. These six things, he, again, he fires off these short statements. These are how we're to live in devotion to Christ. And these are, these are small statements, but they're, they're, they're big. And if you and I are to go in here and go, oh, I need to do these six things, and we begin to try to really implement every single one of these, we're going to be overwhelmed. These are big time things that don't just happen overnight. And they don't just happen because we try harder. They're, they're things that are developed in our lives over the course of our lives, over a lifetime. And so here's what I would encourage you today to do is, is as we go through these, I'm going to ask some questions that are meant to apply these to our lives today. And I don't want you to get overwhelmed with this. What I would want you to do is, is maybe pick one. Maybe there's something in here, one of these six that the Lord specifically points out to your heart and your mind, and you would make a determination, God, I want you to change this in me and, 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 and not disobey all of these things, but, but not try to do everything at once. Just say, God, how can I be more faithful and how can I grow in my devotion to you in this one area? of my life right now in this season and continue to try to submit yourself to the Lord in all of those areas. But let's, let's walk through these, these six things this morning. Number one, he says, rejoice always, rejoice always. And when I think of, of what this means, I think it's, it's being full of, full of cheer or full of joy, rejoice always. And joy, joy is something not, not that you work on, but it's something that you live in. Galatians chapter 5, Paul, as he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. Now make sure you're, you're, you're clear on the language here. He, he doesn't call, this, call these fruits. Sometimes you see people refer to these as fruits of the Spirit. No, it's, it's singular, fruit of the Spirit. This is, this is something that is produced in your life when the Spirit is having His way with you. This is the fruit that He produces. So it's not like, oh, I need to work more on joy, or it's, I need to work more on patience, or I need to work more on faithfulness. No, this is all fruit of us following Christ and being devoted to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to have His way in us. What happens as a byproduct of that is God produces, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. And we begin to grow in these things like love, joy, peace. And so joy isn't something that you work on. It's something that you live in. It only happens. You only experience joy and you can only rejoice always when, 
because of the Holy Spirit, because of God's Spirit in you. It's something that's generated from the inside out, not from the outside in. You know, sometimes we differentiate joy and happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance or happenings. And so our happiness is generally dictated by what's happening around us or outside of us. Whereas joy is something that comes from the inside out, that despite our happenings or our, the happenstances of our life, there's joy from within that comes out. And Paul instructs us to rejoice always. And when he uses that word always, here's what it tells us. It tells us that regardless of circumstances, there is always reason to have joy. There is always reason to rejoice. That no matter what's going on, you and I can still find joy because it's not produced by our, our circumstances. It's produced by the Holy Spirit in us. It's something that we live in, that He does inside of us, and it comes out. So let me ask you a question to, to apply this to our lives. Is your everyday life characterized by joy? I mean, would other people look at, at our lives and, and sense there's joy, there's something deep within us that wells up in us that allows us to live above the fray of our life. That even when we go through difficulty, we still are a person that's full of joy. Is that what your life is characterized by? Or let me ask it another way. Is your social media feed characterized by joy? Is it characterized by joy? What's the opposite of joy? It's, it's unhappiness. It's anger, it's frustration, it's ranting, okay? Because a lot of folks live, the, the, what they're known for is they're always complaining or murmuring or unhappy or questioning authority. Or, and and it's so, that is so true in the day in which we live right now in this season. What is your life characterized by? Are you frustrated and angry about everything and that just is, that's what's coming from the inside out that spills out? Or even in the midst of frustration and confusion and, 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 and all of that, does joy spill out of you? Okay, let's move on to the second directive. Number two is pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. When I think of this phrase, what that means, you know, sometimes it's, it's like we think of that means I have to be on my knees 24-7, just committed to, to praying our Father who art in heaven. And that's not what he's talking about. When I think of praying without ceasing, I think of being in this constant state of, of consciousness and communication with God. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly aware, conscious of the fact that God is is near, that He is with me, and I'm constantly in communication with Him. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm bowing my knees, or I'm closing my eyes, or I'm even speaking words audibly, but I'm constantly in communication with God, praying without ceasing. It's important to set aside times and to be intentional about, about moments and times of quiet prayer and time with the Lord, but there's also this reality that 
it, there, there's not a specific place or physical posture or words that have to, to be a part of prayer. Prayer is wherever you go. There's nowhere that you and I can go and get out of God's presence. There, there's no situation that we can find ourselves in where we can't pray to the Lord. In fact, it, when I'm with others or when I'm in situations, I constantly find myself praying, not out loud. That would be kind of strange. It wouldn't fit some moments, but, but inwardly in my heart, I'm communicating with God. I'm saying, God, help me to know how to answer this. Help me to know how to respond. Help me to know what to do. Give me wisdom. Lord, would you work on this person's heart? Would you open them up to whatever it is you want to say? Would you speak to me? There's just this constant flow of, of communication. And sometimes it's just this awareness and consciousness of God's presence. But it's never ending. It's always pray without ceasing. It's about being persistent in prayer more than anything else, I believe. Luke chapter 11, you know, Jesus, his disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And in coming out of teaching them the Lord's, what we would call the Lord's prayer, he says in Luke 11, 9 and 10, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He's speaking about persistence in, in coming to God and bringing our request to Him, and asking and seeking and knocking and, and bugging God, being persistent in this. And I think this is kind of the heart of what Paul is getting at. Pray without ceasing. Mark Batterson has written this. He says, God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Simply put, God won't do it unless you pray for it. We have not because we ask not. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Uh, there's things that we desire and we want in our lives. And I'm not saying just bad things or evil things, but there's good things that we desire. And sometimes God doesn't answer because we don't ask. He has implored us to ask and to seek and to knock. And Paul tells us here, pray without ceasing. This is one of the, the marks of, of everyday devotion to Christ. It's a, it's a prayerful attitude and it's a prayerful way of living and walking through our days. You know, there's two amazing truths that come out of this simple directive to pray without ceasing. One is that God wants to hear from you. I mean, think about that. That's, that's mind boggling that God, the God of the universe, the creator of all wants to hear from you. And number two, it assumes that God is able to answer your prayers. God is actually able to fulfill your requests. Now, he may not always choose to answer it the way that you and I want him to, but he is able to, and he will choose to answer based on what he sees fit. And those are two amazing things. When we say pray without ceasing, that means that God wants to hear from us 
and that God is able to answer us. Now, let me ask you a question to apply this. What do you believe about prayer? What do you believe? Do you believe these two things, that God wants to hear from you and that God is able to answer you? Because if you don't really pray very much, I'll tell you why you don't pray very much. It's because you don't really believe those two things. You don't really believe that God cares to hear from you and or you don't believe he can actually answer your prayers. And so what do you believe about prayer? Because if you believe those two things, you will make this a part of your life. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is all, all about having a thankful attitude and spirit. It's about being, and to, to me, in my, my, my mind, it's about being humbled. I, I recognize and I'm aware of all that God does and all that God has done and all the ways that He has blessed me. And so I'm thankful. I'm constantly thankful. And he clarifies this. Paul does. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, in all things, not for all things. And so it's possible for us to be in the midst of circumstances that we really would never, ever choose for ourselves, that we don't even want to be in. But it is possible for us to give thanks and to be grateful in the midst of those circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. This has more to do with our perspective on life and our understanding of what we call providence. Now, maybe you're not sure what providence is. Let me read from J.I. Packer. This is how he defines providence. J.I. Packer, great theologian of our day, he said, the unceasing activity of the Creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, he upholds his creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances, and free acts of angels and men, and directs everything to its appointed goal for his own glory. So providence is the fact that God is in control, that he is working all things, to its appointed goal, which is His glory. Give thanks in all circumstances. This directive affirms that one, there's nothing that's insignificant. Nothing that we experience or go through is insignificant. It all matters. And God is, is working all things for His glory and for our good. That's what this directive affirms, that everything matters. There's, there's not one thing that we go through that is insignificant. And at the same time, God is working all things together for His glory and our good. Give thanks in all circumstances. And so Paul is saying this is, this is part of everyday devotion to Christ. It's rejoicing always. It's praying without ceasing. It's giving thanks in all circumstances. So let me ask you a question to apply this. Where's your thankfulness meter these days? 
because I know for the majority of us, these are weird times. These are not normal circumstances. These are, in a lot of ways, difficult, hard times. Maybe financially, maybe relationally, maybe just in terms of anxiety and mental health for you. These are not good, the good old times, right? Where's your thankfulness meter in these days? In circumstances that you and I wouldn't choose for ourselves, are we still able to be thankful in all circumstances? Because that's what we're called to. That's where we're directed is to thankfulness. So instead of finding um, the things to complain about or to be upset about or frustrated about or disappointed by, where can we find an avenue for gratefulness? This is the third directive. Number four is this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. I may spend a little bit more time on this one than any of the others. Don't quench the spirit. I always picture in my mind like the old Gatorade commercials, which is all about quenching your thirst, right? When you're parched and thirsty and you're working out, so quench your thirst. And that's what Gatorade's all about. This word quench has this idea of extinguishing a fire. And we kind of see this, this, this played out a little bit throughout the New Testament, this image of the Holy Spirit. One of the images is of, of, of this fire. When we come to faith in Christ, at the point of salvation, when we confess, confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, at that moment, God gives us the gift of His presence in us. The person of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, and He begins to work in us. He convicts us of sin and he, he, he teaches us and reminds us of God's truth and he, he guides us in the way that we should go. You know, maybe you've heard this phrase about being on fire for the Lord. Sometimes we, we think of this image of being really emotional and caught up in, in who God is, but it's, it's, it has less to do with this emotional response to God, and it has more to do with, with our, our full obedience. And so we would describe times in our life where we're fully obedient to God and God's doing big things in and through us as being on fire for the Lord, right? Maybe you've experienced in this life a time when your faith was stronger and you were more sensitive to what God was doing in your life. I always think of, of seasons coming out of summer camp, youth camp, you know, when you've been so on fire for the Lord, you've been, this, this fire has been stoked up within you and you're passionate about the Lord. And what happens is that kind of comes and goes and it wanes and there's seasons where, it's, where you're more on fire and there's times where the fire has been put out, right? And this is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about quenching the Spirit. To quench the Spirit is to extinguish the work of God in you through disobedience. It's when God's Spirit tries to convict you and speak to you about something that is right or wrong. And what happens is we disregard His voice. And what we have done is we have extinguished His work in our life. We have snuffed out the fire of God that's working in us when we disregard His voice. Because when we're confronted with a situation, when there's an obvious right and a wrong, 
our conscience is at work and is, God's Holy Spirit works in concert with our conscience and he gives us direction. He speaks to us. There's a still small voice within us that, that is, is prompting us to do what is right and what is good. And sometimes what happens is we disregard it. We push it aside and we do what we want to do in the moment. And what we have done is we have quenched the spirit. We have extinguished the fire of God that's trying to do his work in us. And we've got to be so careful of this, y'all, because what happens, there, there are huge consequences when we quench the spirit in our life. Because it may come with one decision that we, we disregard his voice and we do our own thing. But what can happen is that over time, we can come into this pattern of constantly disregarding his voice and quenching his spirit. And as we do that, what happens is that we develop this, this ability to regularly disregard his voice to where we can no longer hear it. We no longer are sensitive to what God is trying to say to us. And for some of us, you listen online or you go to church or you hear this, the preaching of the word of God week in and week out, and it does nothing in you. It doesn't convict you. It doesn't prompt you to change. It doesn't prompt repentance in you. It doesn't prompt obedience in you. And the reason why is because you have for so long quenched the Spirit of God in your life. You've, you've in essence said, la, 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 God, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and what we see all throughout the Bible is that God will give you what you want. If you don't want to hear from God, He will stop speaking to you. And He will stop convicting you. And it's going to take something bigger and more drastic to get your attention if you won't listen to his still small voice that whispers in your spirit. So Paul says, don't do this. Don't quench the spirit of God. I think of another silly illustration. I think of UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship. When you think of, of these cage matches and these fights in the octagon and one of these submission holds is when one fighter gets another fighter into a chokehold. And, and what he does is he, he chokes him out. He, in essence, he chokes off um, the blood, the flow of blood to the brain and it leads to this loss of consciousness in his opponent. And what happens in our life is that the Holy Spirit God, the Holy Spirit, is trying to move in us and we can fight against it and we can resist it. And what we do is we fight and we choke out. We choke out His power in our life. We squeeze it out. We snuff out the fire of God's work in our life so that He, in all, for all intents and purposes, He is... He is unconscious. He stops doing his work in our life. So let me ask you a question this morning. How sensitive are you to the Spirit? How sensitive are you to the Spirit? Or like when he speaks to you, do you respond? Do you obey? Do you sense 
this moving of God in you and you obey quickly with obedience? Or do you regularly kind of brush off his voice? You kind of say, yeah, but I don't want to do that. Or yeah, but mm, I really want to do this. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm warning you. I'm admonishing y'all. Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench his Holy Spirit because he wants to light you up. He wants to set you on fire so that the whole world can watch you burn for his glory. And yet if you continue to quench the spirit, man, he will stop lighting the spark of his work in and through you. So do not quench the spirit. That's a that's a directive, that's a, a mark of devotion to Christ in our life, is that we are people who are regularly not quenching the Holy Spirit, but we're giving way to, we're listening, we're sensitive to, we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's number five. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Verse 20. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. When the Bible talks about prophecies, it's it's usually referring to one of two things. One, it's it's referring to what we would call foretelling, which is is predicting future events. It's it's like what the prophets would do. They were foretelling future events. So prophecies can speak to foretelling. It can also speak to what we would call forthtelling, which is proclaiming truth, proclaiming God's word, much like preachers do. We are forthtelling. We're telling or 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 proclaiming forth what God has, what God has said. And when we look at the Bible, which is full of prophecies, okay, it's full of prophecies. Two-thirds of the prophetic activity in the Bible is in the secondary category of forthtelling. Here is what God has said. It's not predicting future events. Two-thirds of the Bible is, is forthtelling. This is what Paul is is I believe speaking to here. Don't despise prophecies. Don't despise or look down on the proclaimed word of God. Don't look down on it. Don't put low value on it. In other words, place high value on the proclaimed word of God, on the preached word of God. Don't don't brush it off. Don't look down on it. Don't put little value on it, but place high value on the preached word of God. Flowing out of what Paul has said previously, he says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. And so this is really foundational for our devotion, everyday devotion to Christ. The, The spirit is our guide and the word is our guardrail. You know what a guardrail is when you're driving down the road? The guardrails kind of keep you on the straight and narrow. They kind of keep you on the path. They keep you from veering off into, into destruction or into death. They keep you on the way that you should be going. It's your guardrail. The Spirit is our guide, and the Word of God is, is, is like our guardrails. It keeps us in bounds. It helps us to know the way in which to go. And so he says, test everything. Don't despise the preaching of the word of God, 
but test everything by it. It's the thing that helps you keep everything in its rightful place. Test everything by the word. Here's, here is an incredible question that you need to learn to ask. Maybe not verbally, but in the course of your everyday life, here's a question you should always be asking. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What do you think of this? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, what should I do here? What does the Bible say? That is the test that we need, the filter through which we need to test everything is what does the proclaimed word of God have to say? Now, I might want to know your opinions and I want to hear your thoughts, but ultimately at the end of the day, the thing that I need to help me, I need the Holy Spirit as my guide and God's word as my guardrails. And those two things work together in concert with one another, the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Test everything by the word. First John four, verse one, John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says, don't just believe everything you hear. Test it all. Run it through the filter of what does the Bible say. Is this really from God or is it not? What does God have to say about this? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Because church, as a church, we will only be as strong as our commitment to preach and to teach and to obey God's word. And that's why we started out this year talking about first things first. It's all about the gospel. It's all about what God has said that he must increase, his words must increase, but we must decrease. Do not despise prophecies. So let me ask us a question to apply this. How important is the Bible to you? How important is the Bible to you? And don't just flippantly answer this question. How important is the Bible to you? Is it just a collection of words, like a lot of words and a lot of stories and a lot of characters? Is it just a collection of words or is it the guardrail for your life? Is it the guardrail, the filter, the thing through which you test everything in your life? Is it that important to you? That's what it needs to be. It needs to become that if we're going to have, practice, live out in everyday devotion to Christ. Here's, here's the sixth and final thing he says. And again, coming out of verse, verse 20, I'm looking at verses 21 and 22. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So test everything. We just saw that. Test it by the word of God. Then hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. The idea here that Paul is getting at is that we are to be committed to discernment. We are to be committed to discernment. Because of the Holy Spirit, who is our guide, and because of the Word of God, which is our, our guardrail, we can discern between good and evil. We can, make, we can make sound judgments. We can discern between what is good and what is 
evil. And so let me, let me kind of walk you through this because some of you would say, I'm pretty good with discernment in my life. And there's others of you that's, that, if you're being honest, you struggle with it. You struggle at making decisions, at making wise, healthy decisions, or making godly right decisions. And you have, you have a whole history or track record of carnage in your life because of the result of, of your poor decisions, of poor discernment. So let me, let me help you all. Let me give you the process for discernment here that, that Paul gives us. Here's the process. First, we test everything by Scripture. We test everything by Scripture. What does the Bible say about this? this? This potential choice that I'm getting ready to make. What does the Bible say? We test, test everything by Scripture. Number two, if it's good, we hold fast to it. We hold fast to it. That means we, we keep it secure. We, we take firm possession of it. Okay, We hold tightly to it. If it is good... Not just if it's okay, if it's permissible. If it is good, hold fast to it. Man, pull it close, hold it tight, don't let it go. If it is evil, he says we abstain from it. Every form of evil, abstain from it. Well, what does it mean to abstain? The word abstain means to, to hold back from doing or to choose not to do something. Okay, maybe some of you have at, at some point made a decision to abstain from a certain type of food. Okay, maybe you said, I'm going to abstain from cake. I'm going to abstain from sugar. Um, maybe some of you had said, I'm going to abstain from physical activity. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be active. I'm just going to veg. Yeah, you, you abstain from things. It's, you're choosing not to do it, to not participate. You're holding back from it, right? That's what it means to abstain. And so Paul says, if it's evil, you abstain from it. You, you keep away from it. You choose not to participate in it. The problem for many of us is that we don't do that first thing. We don't, we don't test everything by Scripture. We don't test everything by Scripture. Or we... We, we test things by things, everything other than Scripture. We, we test things by our feelings, how it makes us feel. Or we test things by popular opinion, what others say. Or we, we test things by our previous experience. We say, well, I, I did this one point and the outcome wasn't so good, so I don't want to do it anymore. We test things by, by all kinds of, of other filters and not the Word of God. How we feel in the moment or previous experience or by popular opinion. And I'm telling you all, those are not reliable guides. They may turn out well one time and other times they will not. But when you allow the Word of God to be the test when you test everything by Scripture, God will not let you down. God will not let you fall. God will not let you fail. If you will discern what is good and evil according to what He has declared is true, and then you decide, do I hold fast to it? Is it good? Or if it's evil, I'm going to abstain from it. Here's the thing, though. Some of you would still say, well, I have trouble... 
I have, the tr I have trouble determining what's good and what's evil. And I tend to hold fast to what is not good, and I tend to abstain from what is good. I have trouble figuring that out for whatever reason. Let me tell you, ask someone for help. Ask a godly friend for help. Seek wise counsel. The book of Proverbs says over and over again, find somebody who has a pattern or a track record or a history of, of being wise and discerning and ask them to help you. Ask them, I, I don't know what God says about this. Could, could you help me to figure out what God has to say about this so that I can discern between good and evil? There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right about that. When you need help, ask for it so that you can test everything, hold fast what is good, and abstain from what is evil, every form of evil. So let's apply this, this, this principle, this directive. And let me ask you, how discerning are you? How discerning are you? Do you tend to make wise decisions, good decisions? Do you tend to cling to what is good and abstain from what is evil or do you tend to make disastrous choices? And if it's the latter, are you willing to ask for help when you need it? Because the worst thing you could do is guess. You don't want to guess at it because the consequences are not good. Let's close with this passage, these last couple verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. In 24, Paul says, Now may the God of peace, and he's praying over these Thessalonians as he concludes this letter. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And I want us to end today. You know, we've kind of walked through these six directives of, of uh, devotion, everyday devotion to Christ. And in some senses, we can get our brains wrapped around it, we can get a handle on it, we can go, okay, I need to work in these areas. But in a sense, when we look at all these, we go, man, these are overwhelming. And I don't know, I need help in multiple areas. Where do I start? This seems impossible. And I want to Pray this and speak this truth over your life right now. This reminder of what Paul has said. That God, He never calls you to something that He will not also empower you to do. He never calls you to do something that He won't give you the power and the ability to be able to carry out. It says that He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He is faithful. He's called you to it and he will be faithful to do it in you and through you. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to call you to do something that is impossible to do. In your own power, yes it is. But because he is in you, he will do it. He says God himself will sanctify you. You have an active part in all of this. You are to pursue all of these things. But the, at the end of the day, God himself, he is the one that will sanctify you. He is the one who will do it. He will sanctify you completely, not partially, 
He's not going to leave you halfway done and halfway undone. He is going to sanctify you completely, body, soul, spirit, all of you, your whole person. And he's going to do it. He's going to be faithful to do it until the day that he comes for you at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called you to be faithful and to pursue sanctification in your life, setting yourself apart to God in holiness. But what is most important is that he is faithful and that he will do it. He is faithful. He will do it. And so church, let's all play our part. Let's play our part in the body of Christ with one another horizontally, but let's also play our part horizontally. Let's pursue Christ. Let's seek to, to put these directives into play in our everyday devotion to Christ, but let's also trust him and believe what he has said, that he is faithful and that he will be faithful to accomplish, to do what he has called us to do that he will continue to build us up and build his church. And he will do all of this for his glory and for our good. Amen. God, I thank you for your grace and your kindness to us. Lord, I pray that you will be faithful. You will, you will do what you have, you have said you will do. You will sanctify us completely at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, body, soul, and spirit. Lord, we pray for your sanctifying work in us. Lord, help us to do these things that you've directed us to do in the power of your spirit. Lord, that we would be able to live out these things in light of your soon return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>